Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Hello, welcome to the Feathered Desert. Um, This is Cheryl and Kirsten's with me and today our subject is cats and birds, a conservation disaster. Now, the domestic cat is often a beloved pet, but is also a major threat to birds. Introduced to the United States with European colonists, the number of domestic cats has tripled in the last 40 years, and that can be tied into trap, neuter, and release. Mm. Today, more than 100 million feral, free-roaming, and owned outdoor cats function as an invasive species with enormous impacts. Every year in the U.S., cats kill approximately 2.4 billion birds. This stunning level of predation is unsustainable for many already declining species like the least tern and the wood thrush, the piping plover, and many of our warblers. Yeah. And Kirsten is going to talk about why it's a bad combination. Yes. Yes. Cats and birds are a bad combination. As many of you know, um, cats are actually the number one threat to birds. I thought they were just in the top 10. But when Cheryl was doing all the research for this one, she found out that cats are actually the number one threat to our songbirds. Broke my heart because I love both of them. Oh, yeah, I know. It's (laughs) terrible. Um, Outdoor domestic cats are a recognized threat to global biodiversity. So that includes feral cats as well as cats that live in homes and are allowed to go outside. Um, Cats have contributed to the extinction of 63 species of birds, mammals, reptiles in the wild, and they continue to adversely impact a wide variety of other species, including those at risk of extinction. Now, of course, while we're talking this, we are in no way saying that cats are bad. Absolutely not. Cats are cats. They are what they are. They're hunters. They're good at it, and that's what they're made to do. But this is information for people to know, and we're not either one of us saying that cats are are bad. Not at all, not at all. So the ecological dangers are so critical that the International Union for Conservation of Nature, also known as the IUCN, many people don't know what IUCN stands for, so I'll say both. They actually list domestic cats as one of the world's worst non-native invasive species, which when we're talking about the domestic cat, we're talking about those cats that are actually living in the houses now and then those who have gone from being domestic back to being feral we're not talking about the ones that come from africa that are originally the small cats where our domestic cats yeah they actually have (laughs) derived from they actually have a wild cat yes there is a wild cat so we're not listing that guy we're just listing the domestic cats that are either still living in homes or have become feral again that's what iucn is talking about So predation by domestic cats is the number one direct human-caused threat to birds in the United States and Canada. And that will come in later. So remember that little fact. Uh, In the United States, the 2.4 billion birds uh, killed every year by our domestic and feral free-roaming cats. It seems really unbelievable, but it actually represents the combined impacts of tens of millions of outdoor cats. Each outdoor cat does play a part. But remember, it's not just the 10 cats, feral cats that are in your neighborhood. We're talking about tens of millions of outdoor cats, and that's just in the U.S. And 
That just blows my mind that we have that many. Yeah, it's, it's outstanding. <laughs> and um, I love cats. I have four indoor cats. Uh, since I was six, I've had cats. I lived on a ranch. We had 14 cats. Not all of them. Now my cats are all indoors. But as a child, I had indoor-outdoor cats. So um, this was a really hard podcast for me to do. I'll just say that because I was unaware of the damage that the cats were doing. So this was really much an eye-opener for me. So as all of us who love our um, cuddly, furry um, pets, we all know that cats are predators. Yeah. And that's just the way they're wired. Even well-fed cats will hunt and kill. Most cat owners will have observed behaviors in their cats that is reflective of the cat's natural hunting abilities. When a cat plays with a feather, toy, or laser, it's practicing predatory behavior. I have three cats that would probably kill a bird. I have one that can't find the laser pointer. So <laughs> I know he's... If he, he's not safe. everybody's yeah, good at what they're supposed not, to be good at. <laughs> he doesn't have it. So when these behaviors continue outdoors, the results are deadly for birds and other wildlife. And unfortunately, the mere presence of cats outdoors is enough to cause significant impacts to birds because cats are recognized by birds as predators. And their presence near nesting birds has been shown to reduce the health of nestlings and decrease nest success. Cats are indiscriminate predators that kill endangered species because they don't know. Right, they don't have a little sign in their head that says, don't kill that one. Yeah, There's only four left of those. It it (laughs) doesn't know. know. So this is an example in in Hawaii. Hawaii was originally a paradise of birds, geographically isolated. The absence of mammalian predators resulted in remarkable biodiversity. With the introduction of cats to the Hawaiian Islands in the late 1700s, It has resulted in the widespread predation of unique native birds and broad environment. This is what really struck me. Broad environmental contamination affecting people and wildlife alike. So the presence of outdoor cats in Hawaii has also contaminates the environment with um, a pesticide, parasite, excuse me, Toxoplasma gondi. 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 Mm-hmm. Ah, see, that's close. <laughs> so neighborhoods, beaches, and waterways may be contaminated. And it's their feces, this parasite, has been known to kill the monk seal, which is an mm-hmm. endangered species. Yep. And also um, where there's river otters, mm-hmm. and um, I believe it's at least not in Yellowstone, but up in that way, it's been known to um, affect them. And who would think that they would be... Yeah, it also is... Domestic cats in our national parks. Yeah. I guess they live on the fringes. They might even live in there. I talk about this a little bit farther down, but it's also a... uh, The Toxoplasma gondii parasite is one that is also killing our sea otters as well. Oh, that's it too. Yeah, Yeah. sea otters. So um, Kirsten's going to go into that a little bit with cats and diseases. Yes. Now, those of you who do allow your indoor cats outside, pay attention to this part because this should encourage you to rethink this process. Because um, I tell you what, I don't have cats, but I, I I love cats for what they are, for the predators that they are, for the beautiful creatures that they are. They're amazing. Um, but these instances that we're talking about right here, I wouldn't let my cat outside after knowing all of this stuff. So 
Outdoor cats actually suffer a much higher incidence of injury, parasites, and diseases that indoor cats do not come in contact with. So although some diseases are specific to cats, such as feline leukemia virus, which you generally, your indoor cat may end up with this as well, um, and feline immunodeficiency virus, others can affect a wide variety of species, including people. Those are our zoonotic diseases. And the biggest one that everybody hears about is the toxoplasmosis. That's why women who are pregnant shouldn't be cleaning out litter boxes. That's, that's, that's the reason for that. And toxoplasmosis is a disease caused by an infection with the parasite, the Toxoplasma gondii. Although this parasite de depends on cats, they have to go through the cat's gut to continue their life cycle. It can be in other warm-blooded species as an intermediate host. And that's what happens when you're an intermediate host. It means that you end up getting infect affected by all the bad side effects. So, and that's any warm-blooded mammal, any warm-blooded mammal species, including human beings. So Toxoplasma gondii is found in the feces of mostly outdoor cats because they are outside. outside. And that's where they're gonna pick up this um, uh, parasite. Um, they pick it up outside in their environment. And not all outdoor cats, of course, are gonna have the parasite. The minute they walk outside, they're not gonna get this parasite. But the numbers of outdoor cats that have it increase me as another outdoor cat coming across it increases the probability of me picking it up and those of you who allow your indoor cats outside they can pick that up and then they bring it back into your house with the litter box in the litter box or if you're having a cat who is sick and is not using the litter box properly then i mean it gets everywhere it can get all over your house and if you have children then you've just now exposed them to this parasite which is not good once it gets into human beings we get very very sick so that's one reason right there keep that in mind if you're letting your cats outside think about that you don't want to bring this toxoplasmosis into your life so with the growing population of feral free roaming cats and outdoor cats growing so does the amount of their feces left behind by the animals now when they're in your house we're picking it up we're cleaning it up we're throwing it away in our trash but outside the waste is not picked up, so it does break down, it gets into the soil, it gets into rain runoff, and that gets into our waterways, which is how our otters, river and sea otters both, are being affected by this. They are not naturally prone to coming in contact with this toxoplasmosis and surviving it. So evolutionarily speaking, their bodies are not prepared to deal with it. And the fact that it's getting into this rain runoff this is our biggest issue because that mm -hmm. goes right to our rivers, goes right to our ocean, and that's how they're getting sick. And that's that that breaks my heart mm -hmm. because it's not yeah. the cats. The cats aren't doing it. No, it's We've, not an animal problem. It's not an animal problem. We have made this situation, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later in the podcast. So besides this being a problem for wildlife, this also becomes a health, health hazard for humans. Due to the potentially severe consequences of infection and potentially high levels of environmental contamination, toxoplasmosis is a serious concern and is a neglected public health threat that impacts approximately one-third of humans globally. One-third of humans. We're almost at, what, nine billion people on this planet? A third of them are affected by toxoplasmosis. That's staggering. 
Uh, when a person accidentally inhales or ingests the Toxoplasma gondii, they may experience blindness, miscarriage if they're pregnant, memory loss, or death. I don't really want to experience any of those. <laughs> uh, those mostly affected are pregnant women and immune, immunocompromised people. And uh, also we mentioned before, um, it is deadly for our wildlife, our sea otters, our river otters, and the monk seal as well. Have all, we've seen all of them get sick and die of the toxoplasmosis as well. So definitely consider that. Think about that. Toxoplasma gondii right there is one reason, one really great reason to keep your cats inside if you have uh, house cats. Another one is rabies. Rabies has always been out there. We've had it, heard about it for a long, long time. It is a viral disease that impacts mammals. And Cheryl's information says if left untreated is almost always fatal. The information that I know and my personal always... experience with it, it's always fatal. There is no one that carries rabies. There's no host that carries it and then they survive. Once it gets in you and you're a mammal, a warm-blooded mammal, then you're going to die generally within 14 days. I always try to stay positive. Try to stay positive. <laughs> well, I will say there is one um, survival rate in human beings, and uh, she is one of the only ones that survived. It was, gosh, this was in the early 90s, I think, is what it was. And uh, she ended up getting bit by a bat who was acting improperly and she was just trying to protect it and save it and it bit her and she didn't say anything for several days and that's the problem with rabies is you don't notice that there's anything wrong with the animal that's been affected for several days and by then the virus has already worked its way up to its brain and is now controlling the behavior of the animal making it act oddly and so she didn't know anything was wrong they were actually able to save her life but she has not normal adult brain functioning, but it's literally the only person that I have ever heard that has actually survived yeah. rabies. But this virus may be transmitted through a bite or saliva that uh, contracts or that con comes in contact with an open wound or a mucous membrane. So cats are very vulnerable to rabies when they're outdoor, especially if there are feeding stations that people are putting food out to and it attracts other cats that may have rabies. It attracts skunks and raccoons, which are big vectors for uh, rabies. And our cats, if they are indoor cats, hopefully are you getting them their rabies shots, which does help. But skunks and raccoons, they're not out there and they're not lining up at uh, the vet to get their rabies shots. So cat, outdoor cats are extremely vulnerable to uh, contracting rabies. And then what is that cat gonna do if he gets bit? and he's your indoor cat, he's gonna come back to your house, he's gonna come inside, and like I just said, you're not really gonna notice anything's wrong with him except for maybe a day or two, and then by then he's already acting oddly, he's gonna start biting you guys, and we don't want that. Then we're passing the rabies on to people that he lives with, um, and I'm sure your cat doesn't wanna do that either. In the United States, wildlife species account for the majority of reported rabid animals. But domestic cats represent a disproportionate risk for potential human exposures in part because people are more likely to come in contact with a cat, especially, like I just said, if he's an indoor cat outdoors. that's allowed to go outside, he's going to come back to your house. And also, if you have a cat in your house as a pet and your kids see a cat outside and something's wrong, they're going to want to help it. And that could be a situation where it's a rabies bite and we certainly don't want to go there. 
So the cheapest and surest way to way to protecting cats and people from rabies is to prevent exposure from occurring, to make sure that all cats are current on their vaccinations. So if you're listening and your cat has not had its vaccination, make an appointment right now with your vet. And also that we can keep them safely separated from wildlife, which means you're keeping them indoors. If you need to go outside, walk them on a leash. I know that sounds funny, but my brother has a cat. He lives on a sailboat and his cat walks on a leash. Yep. I was waiting there for a moment to let everybody laugh because I'm just, <laughs> all the people that own cats, they're like laughing right there. Yes. like, no, that's not happening. But any cat can be taught to walk on a leash. Yeah, but I, have it's, a, I have a cat who walks on a leash. Yes. And it's not going to be like a dog. It's not like you no. go out and you're doing a 10-mile hike with your cat. No. This is about getting your cat outside, letting them inspect and see and sniff and get all this stimuli. But we're not taking like a long walk. We're going maybe down to the end of the street and back and letting them have a bunch of breaks in between. Maybe sit under the bush, look around. This is what a catwalk is. This is not a normal dog walk. <laughs> so don't think that that's what it needs to be. It's very relaxed in the cat's own time situation. So currently the CDC is actually working on a vaccine for toxoplasmosis for cats, but that's still in the works. And remember, we do have vaccinations for rabies, so that is something that we can um, keep under control. The biggest challenge would be to get this vaccine for toxoplasmosis and also to get rabies vaccines into the 100 million cats we actually have roaming around the U.S. And that is talking about our feral cat population, not our indoor cat population. So, it's not all doom and gloom. We're gonna talk about one other issue that we're actually dealing with right here in the Phoenix area and also California, actually anywhere where there are places that it's warm enough that cats can breed year round. And Cheryl's gonna to talk to us a little about this program that really started off being very promising and kind of has taken a little bit of a downslide. Yeah, so I'm gonna talk about trap, neuter, and release. And it's the wrong solution to a tragic problem. And I have personally taken part in trap, neuter, and release, thinking that I was doing a good thing. I've done it in my neighborhoods. I've participated with other groups that have done it. And um, this, again, was an eye-opener when I did this um, research. So while many humane groups, conservation organizations, um, Good-hearted people and local authorities agree that homeless cats should be humanely and permanently removed from the wild. Some people advocate managing colonies of stray cats through a practice called trap, neuter, and release. But this has failed, and it's bad policy, and it's one of the reasons, it started in the 80s, it actually is one of the reasons that the feral cat population has tripled in the last 40 years because that's as long as trap neuter and release has been out there i think it was a great idea when they started out with it and it, it's one of those things where we didn't look at the long-term issues right and um based it on some misinformation yes so um it's bad policy because it's an ineffective way to end cat population cat colonies perpetuate themselves because they often serve as a dumping ground for unwanted cats and the food attracts more cats. Right. So you think you've only you've fixed the problem with by spade and neutering these twelve cats, and then you come back and you've got three more, and then that aren't fixed, and then you have before you know it, you have twenty, right, and thirty, and then it just keeps going. It has been proven that well-fed well-fed cats, as I've said before, will still stalk and kill birds and other wildlife. 
While the feral cats in an area are man are a managed colony, or are not the cat, they're still not the cats. The cats are still vulnerable to a multitude of hazards and diseases, such as here we go: ringworm, roundworm, fleas, ticks, ear mites, abscesses, respiratory infection, urinary tract infections, eye infections, and let's not forget getting hit by a car, chewed on by a dog, coyote, raccoon, because raccoons will eat kittens. Sure. Picked up by a red-tailed hawk or a great horned owl, if small enough, or cruelty or unkindness to humans in its neighborhood. I mean, oh my gosh, is that not yeah. exhausting? It's so much stuff for them to have to worry about. Now, in the beginning, I mentioned that I grew up on a ranch in California, and my parents, if you've ever seen the movie, We Bought a Zoo, my <laughs> parents bought a ranch, not knowing anything about it in the 70s before there was internet. And uh, it came with chickens, um, sheep, goats, and a couple horses. And a group of cats. So we did have cats up to 14. But as Kirsten's going to talk about a little later, we actually kept the cats around the barn in an enclosed area and they were strictly for rodent control. So we didn't have to use rodenticide. Yeah. I never lost a cat to a car. I never, they all died of old age. I never lost a cat. They were all fixed and vaccinated. Never lost a cat to a car, a coyote, a bird of prey. They all lived out their happy lives in this enclosed area. Right. So um, it can be done. I know it can be done. The volunteers often can't manage a colony of feral cats. And that's true. I mean, it's like herding cats. Oh, yeah. Okay, but... If anybody's ever tried to do yeah. that, it's <laughs> not <laughs> easy. Yes. So too few people, too few dollars to adequately manage cat colony populations. You still have the risk to human health. You still have, uh, it's deadly to wildlife because, right. like I said before, they're still doing what they do because they're cats. It's the right. way they're wired. It may not always be legal. Trap, neuter, and lease, I was surprised about this, was determined to be mostly to be a violation of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, Endangered Species Act, state laws that prohibit the abandonment and release of non-native animals. Right. Now, we're still doing it. Yep. We're still doing it. And um, I Googled a whole bunch of shelters in this area, in um, the Phoenix Valley area, even Maricopa County shelter. They still support trap, neuter, and release. Yep. Um, hello. <laughs> right. I don't know what to do, but we have to collectively do something. So, yes. um, Kirsten's going to round it out, hopefully. Um, positively with things that we can do and where we go from here yes so this is definitely not just an issue like we said that are cats this is actually a human issue yes. so as people we have to take some responsibility for our actions towards these feral cats and the actions that cause them actually to be feral cats because we're accountable yes we did this we did this so where do we go from here this is always the question we can humanely remove stray and feral cats from communities, parks, and other public areas that provide habitat for wildlife and take them to a shelter. Now, of course, a lot of you are like already, oh my gosh, my shelter can't take any more cats. This is, of course, the issue, but we need to still consider this as an option. And the more we ask for help from our cities and from our governments, the more of us that are asking, the better it is that we're going to get a result. So we have to keep this as our number one option and not just uh, leave them there. We need to educate cat owners to spay and neuter their cats 
at eight weeks to four months of age and then keep them indoors. And this is what we're doing. Right. We're educating. We're educating. So those of you who are listening uh, because you love birds and have cats and then, you know, hey, my neighbor has some cats too. Tell them about our podcast. Let them listen to this because sometimes it doesn't come best from a neighbor. It comes from a stranger. And that's who we are, strangers to you. And hopefully you will listen a little bit more than necessarily to mom or dad or your kids or whatnot. We also need to educate the public that feeding stray cats is not the best solution for the cats, for wildlife, or people. So putting food out on your back porch for feral cats, you're not actually helping the cat at all. What you're doing is just setting everybody up to fail. The cat is going to continue to come back and then someday there's going to be a coyote there or there's going to be a raccoon there or there's going to be a javelina there and then or worse kittens or worse kittens god (laughs) yes then worse kittens then you're putting the cat in danger you're putting yourself in danger because you don't need to have any of that wildlife on your back porch and now we've just got a place where diseases can be spread um violence can happen then the cat has to be put down the javelina has got to be put down we don't none of this needs to be happening so if you are feeding stray cats you're not helping them to survive we need to remove the food that is near our homes we need to also enact and enforce legislation prohibiting abandonment of cats and then post warning signs in public wildlife areas that if you abandon your cat here there will be consequences to you Once again, I know this is hard, this is difficult, but go to your city council meetings, go to um, school council meetings, go anywhere where there are people that will listen and keep talking. I know it's hard and I know it's tiring because you've tried to do it before and no one's listening, but the more you talk, someone else is gonna stand up with you and then the more people we have do it, the better it's going to be. Uh, Prohibit the feeding of stray cats, including those in managed colonies that are not in an enclosed protected area, in public parks and on beaches, wildlife refuges, or other public lands that serve as wildlife habitat, we cannot have managed colonies in those areas. All they're doing is just eating wildlife and spreading diseases. So we need to prohibit feeding in those areas. We need to work as a community, like we just said, to solve our cat overpatient overpopulation problems in our area because this is something that we have done and we can work as a community to fix it. Um, some of the things that we do want to look at is support fully enclosed stray and feral cat sanctuaries that are on private property. So there's a place called Best Friends in Utah, and which, this is a cat sanctuary. Which I visited. It's really cool. And they're safe, they're sheltered, and they're well-fed here. And they do not come in contact with wildlife, so they're not eating our birds and our mammals and our lizards. They're not doing that. They're also not spreading any kind of disease to the wildlife. If they pick it up, they're in an enclosed area, and these people can get them the medical help that they need. And they're also not creating a health hazard for us as well. So one of the other things we want to talk about too is what can you as a pet owner do? This isn't just about feral cats. This is about our indoor cats that we allow to go outside. So what you can do now is you can make a pledge to keep your cats indoors. And honestly, after learning about all these hazards that they come in contact with, I think that's a no brainer. I mean, I want to keep my pets safe and I don't have cats as pets, but certainly if I did, I would want them to stay inside and be safe. And 
then it comes to, well, what do I do with my cat? My cat goes outside and it entertains itself. So for those pet owners who still want to give their cats outdoor time because they feel that their cat needs it or maybe they need it a moment away from their cat, then you can build a catio. It's a cute little word that means cat patio. And that means uh, just a little area where they can go outside. If you have a home and you have a yard, you can build an enclosed area. The cat goes out. Maybe there's a scratching post in there. There's some shelving in there, some high places for them to get up and down, but it's all enclosed. They can watch the birds outside. They can maybe watch the coyote run by in the distance, depending on where you live. But your cat is safe and wildlife is safe. If you live in an apartment building, a lot of people think that this isn't a possibility, but if talk to your apartment building and say, I really want to build a little catio on my porch, you can make it enclosed. Obviously, we don't want little kitties jumping off of um, balconies, but you can enclose it very simply and very easily. And with items that don't alter it permanently, but can be uh, secured and stationed in ways that your cat can go out safely, have a little outdoor time, relax, and it's great. That's a catio. Number two, you can teach your cat to walk on a leash. We already talked about this, and you have two examples right here of cats that can walk on leashes. And like I said, it takes a little time for them to get used to it, but once they get out there and you're not, don't, once again, don't think it's going to be like a dog walk, because it's not going <laughs> it's to be. not like a dog walk at all. Not at all. It's just going to be a kind of hangout session. And you can walk around. If you're in an apartment complex, you can go to your little area where other people are and kind of hang out. The cat's maybe under the chair or in a little bush over there. And then if you can go to a park if you have a park nearby. Or if your cat uh, travels well in the car, put him in the car, take him to a local park, and you guys just hang out for like half an hour, 45 minutes, and just chill. And this is a great way for them to get outdoors, but not come in contact with wildlife to where they're harming wildlife or where they're getting harmed by wildlife. Yes, and if you're going to walk them on a leash, have them in a, a harness. Yes, a harness for sure. Collar, because when that cat goes up the tree, right, <laughs> that little collar pop right off yes. his head. Yes. So you want to do an actual uh, harness, mm -hmm. and there are lots of different um, things that you can do at different pet stores you can go to and then you can get a lot of great stuff online as well. Yeah. Um, number three, a great thing to do is schedule intense playtime sessions with your cat indoors. This is another great way to bond with your cat. Sometimes people lose a little bit of that pet bonding that we have because we have busy lives. Um, but do intense play sessions. We're talking um, get out that... Uh, little feather toy. feather toy and like run them around and really get them panting heavy and that gets a lot of their um energy out and allows them to use those hunting skills and it'll be fun for you too because i tell you what i mean i don't have cats but i have people who have cats and i'll play with them with a little thing and it certainly is fun for me about 13 minutes is their their attention span <laughs> yeah and then they're like this is not as much fun but yes. you give them a little rest and you come back and do it yeah. again and it's a, a lot a lot of fun Another thing you can do is actually get bird feeders that stick to your window. And that's one of the things that we have here at um, WBU in Mesa. We have hummingbird feeders and we have regular bird bird feeders <laughs> that um, stick to your window. And you can put it right there and the cat can interact with them without anybody getting hurt. And most of the time, maybe the first couple times that bird comes to the window, they get a little spooked by the cat. If it's a if the cat that really interacts, then the, the bird might be like, oh my goodness. Um, but after they realize the cat can't actually get to them, they have no problems coming yeah, to the feeder. they have no problems. Yes. A friend of mine has a uh, indoor cat that, and she lives in an apartment. She put up a little hummingbird feeder that she got here at the store. And she just sent me a picture of her cat. The hummingbird is sitting on the hummingbird feeder drinking while her cat is standing on its back feet with its foot right up there, right next to the bird. And <laughs> like tapping on the glass and the birds just looking at it like I know you can't get me 
So I don't care. Um, but it's great actually enrichment for the cat and really enrichment for the bird as well. Yeah. And I have um, a, the bird, a bird bird feeder. Right. That feeds the little birds, the house, uh, house finches in particular. It comes to a window. Um, they come to the window feeder. My cats sit on their, I have a window seat just for my cats. And they all sit there. All four of them will sit there. And they will sit there and watch the birds eat. Yeah. And just watch the birds And sometimes eat. And they don't. tail switch back and yeah. forth. And their little ears go down and up. But that's what they're doing. Yeah. And sometimes and they don't necessarily want to catch the bird that they're looking at right away. But it gives their brains. It gets their brains mm -hmm. thinking. And that little tail twitching. They're excited. And they're thinking. So that's what we're asking there for. Something you can also do um, when you're away, there are DVDs you can get of birds <laughs> and other animals. And you put it on your TV for your cat to watch on TV while you're away. And it keeps the cat interested in doing things uh, so it's not tearing up your room or deciding to, oh, well, they're not here. I'm going to rip open the back of the couch. And it gives them something else to do as well. It gets their brain moving. and They, it do, does... they do watch TV. I have... Yeah. Cat, I have um... Not other cats, excuse me. I have birds and I have fish that I will put on. Yeah. And I know that not all cats are going to watch TV, but a good majority of them will. And try different things. Try birds, try fish. Maybe your um, cat is a squirrel watcher. Yeah, they <laughs> like the squirrels. There's all DVDs of wildlife and stuff that you can buy out there. And uh, these are all ways for you to help your indoor cat get that need to hunt out. It also helps you bond with your cat more. That's the whole point of having pets, right? Is that we are in their lives and they're in our lives and we love them and they help reduce our stress. We should be helping them reduce their stress. And these are all great ways to keep your indoor cat happy and healthy. And Cheryl's going to tell us a little bit more in our closing. And then I have a plant spotlight. Okay, so... Hopefully, we've, we've given you good ideas about um, how to, and encourage you to keep your cats indoors. That's the whole idea about this, because if we can just pull in the, the outdoor, the cats that are owned, we can pull them from the outdoors indoors, that would be a first major step. Yes. Um, so that's what we really want to encourage. I have four indoor cats and right now my four indoor cats all came off the street. And they are completely, totally happy. Um, they were young when I found them. My husband thinks I'm a cat magnet. Um, and I have a vacancy sign hanging above the door, but that's not true. But um, I do have a heart for kitties. And so um, I just want people to be aware that it's not a good situation for them to be outside and it breaks my heart when I see an outdoor cat whether it's got a collar on or not so um, our homeless cat population and our our owned outdoor cat population is not an animal problem it isn't it's not we're not the, the cat is being a cat right okay and here like Kirsten mentioned earlier in Arizona when the climates are warmer in Southern California um, they can reproduce all year long and um that's a lot of cats a lot of cats therefore if it's a people problem which is a good thing though um we can solve it yes and animal welfare groups work hard to encourage people to adopt pets from shelters and keep them indoors and spade and neuter them neuter their cats and never abandon them that's important too because again that's on us Mm -hmm. However, cat population remains a significant problem with serious consequences for our birds and for human health. And it needs to be addressed. And we really, 
we can't afford to um, ignore it anymore. No. Not for the bird's sake. Not at all. No. And that's something I would say in our closing comments too. If, you, if you're looking for a cat, go to a shelter. You can even look up shelters that specialize in taking feral cats off the street. Because if you get those cats when they're young, they're just kittens, they're under a year old, those cats can usually successfully be rehabilitated into indoor house cats and they love it. They have a long, happy, fun life. Feral is not a disease. Feral is a condition. It's, Correct. And a condition can be reconditioned. Exactly. And at the end of our podcast on our show notes, we will put information towards um, all the things that we've talked about. And I'm going to also put some stuff up there about the catio. If you guys are interested, some steps on how you can successfully create one and a great blog from a gentleman that specializes in cat behavior. And I'll put his information on there as well. And he has really good instructions on how to make really cool catios. So for this plant spotlight, I have decided to do and that kind of relates to cats in a sort of way. So this is our gray thorn. It is native to the southwestern United States and Mexico. It favors the dry plains and mesas of Arizona. And the scientific name, I'm going to say it just because it's kind of fun to say it. And then it kind of tells you a little bit about this plant. It's called Zisiphus obtusiflorum. Oh gosh, now I'm messing it up. Oh no, it's contagious. It's contagious. <laughs> um, it's Zisiphus obtusifolia. Obtusifolia. I'm so glad you said it. <laughs> Once you say it now. And the variety is Kansensis. That's the one that's found here in Arizona. So if you go and you say, I want a gray thorn, you can look at that, which I'll post on our show notes and get the one that's uh, more local. But obtusifolia kind of tells you a little bit more about this. If you know what obtuse means, <laughs> which means kind of stubborn. Um, it's actually a shrub that grows slowly to about six feet tall and with a width of eight feet. But you can trim it a little bit. Trimming a little is okay. The stems are actually covered in a gray waxy coating that helps prevent evaporative water loss. And it has large stout thorns on the end of the branch. So that's kind of where the obtusifolia comes from. Um, and that's something to consider. But I picked this one specifically because we're doing the cat podcast today. And this actually offers safe harbor to birds with that um, big spine on the end there, that thorn. Uh, cats kind of think, hmm, I'm not going to go in there. So this is a nice one, especially if you have a, a, a large feral cat population in your area and you have a place in your yard to plant it. This is a great one. Once it is established in well-draining soil, it can survive on the rains we get during the monsoon season. It does flower in early summer with a very small cream-colored flower. It's very non-showy, so it's going to be kind of a background color. But in the fall, it has these really pretty blue-black berries that attract birds, and it's actually a great place um, for the birds to nest. Oh, wow. Because yeah. it's thorny. Because it it's the thorny. Cats out. Right. But it does say that it's just a thorn on the end of the branch. So it's not as thorny as some other things like Palo Verdes that have the thorns everywhere. Yeah. But just, just enough that the cats go, eh, I don't want to yeah, deal with that. Exactly. So that's what I picked today, and that's the gray thorn. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening to our podcast today. And we hope that we didn't depress you too much. Um, we tried to end on an up note about things that we can change, and we believe that this is something that we can tackle that is best for humans and best for cats and our birds.